Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, this is Binge List. I'm Matt Denby and coming up on this week's show... Oh my gosh, she's the most annoying person ever. I so got into this storyline, I practically developed pimples and teen angst. <laughs> Because right now what they create today is disposable content, right? It doesn't go past three seasons, it doesn't go past four seasons. It looks grossly out of date, it looks irrelevant, and it's a bit of a bore. Sorry. What is a jet skiing plumber? Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Who Magazine's weekly TV podcast, Binge List. I'm your host Matt Denby and joining me in the studio, deep in the heart of the Summer Bay soundstage, is TV guru Gavin Scott. Hello Gavin. Hello. Now our good friend and fellow TV freak Claire Rigdon is on a tropical beach right now, but she'll be back next week. This week we've got some great shows to talk about, including Jack Irish, Anne with an E, Home and Away, Ninja Warrior and Glow. The ABC's quirky crime hit Jack Irish is back on air from July 8 and available to watch on iview. It's great to see Aussie icon Guy Pearce back on telly, but Gavin, is this crime drama worthy of his talent and our eyeballs? That is a very good question, Matt, but before I answer that, another question that occurred to me when I sat down to watch this season of Jack Irish is when was it happening? If you watched the first season of Jack Irish, which took place after the three telly movies, Season one ended with Jack and his on-off girlfriend, Linda, in separate countries. Linda was over in Manila and Jack was in Australia. When we sit down to watch season two, they're living together. Not quite in domestic bliss, but they are living together. So the timeline is a bit all over the place in terms of when this is taking place. And while they're living together, um, you know, kind of getting along, not not getting along completely, but kind of getting along... Some dramatic events take place involving a bike courier, Eddie, and an international student, Lakshmi. There's a shocking death in the opening minutes and a break-in at a tech firm that employs the most hopeless security guards I've ever seen on television. So that happens, and then we jump ahead three years, just to confuse us even more. So in three years' time, Linda is back in Manila... And Jack is doing more traditional legal work. And he stumbles on this case involving the bike courier and involve, involving the international student and finds out that they're both dead. So that's the, uh, the mystery that's going to keep us going for the six episodes of this season. And of course, there's a lot more going on in Jack Irish. But Matt, what did you make of this mystery? Did, did it suck you in? Were you interested by it? No, sadly not. And you know, this show started with a big bang. As you referenced, there's quite a horrific death scene within the first five or ten minutes of this show. So, uh, you know, watch out if you're of the nervous disposition. You may not like watching that, which I found kind of ironic because the rest of the show, the rest of the first episode at least, seems to run at a pace that's aimed at not uh, upsetting the, the delicate among the public. I found myself quite disappointed with the pace of the show. It was kind of boring at some points. 
Guy Pearce is fantastic. He's a, he's a wonderful actor. But I also thought some of the supporting actors in this were really amateur to a really distracting point, actually. And it's great that, you know, the ABC or any show gives newcomers a chance to express themselves in shows, but there has to be a bit of quality control. And I thought that was a little lacking here. What did you think, Gavin? Yeah, I see, I was interested by this overriding mystery in this season. I wanted to know what happened to the bike courier who went missing. Uh, you know, Jack used to employ his services, so he knew this guy called Eddie and, and was quite shocked to, to find out that, that he was dead. And so I wanted to know what you know what happened to Eddie. And as for the international student, Lakshmi, terrible fate befalls her, as you'll see. We, we don't really want to spoil it, but I'll, I will say this. Jack Irish does make use of that shocking footage. You see it in the previously on episode. Someone shows it to someone else on a phone. So it probably cost a, l- a little bit of money to film this shocking death, and they definitely get their money's worth by showing it over and over again. Yeah. So I wanted to know... Why did these two people die? How are they connected? You know, what's Jack going to uncover? And it was kind of those elements of the first two episodes that I've seen were quite intriguing for me. I did want to know what was going on. And and Jack, uh, you know, is breaking into education facilities and sneaking around and almost getting caught by security guards. A lot of security guards in Jack Irish. Mm. And all of that, I thought, was kind of exciting. But I'm with you on the supporting storylines and the supporting cast. It's all a bit silly, isn't it? Yeah, some of the silliness in this really got on my nerves. We kept getting treated to all these wacky moments that obviously amused the writers. Like, there's a bird watcher who insisted on driving Guy to a murder scene and he he demanded to play the Mikado at high volume in the car on their trip. And his dialogue was probably a lot of fun for them to write. But no one actually speaks like that, no matter how eccentric they are. It sort of feels like nobody in the writing team read any of this out loud before it was sent out to the actors. It was really, really awful. And then we're forced to see um, good old Vera Bennett from Wentworth hosting a Mexican-themed Fiesta Thursday in the office, dressed up, you know, um, like a mariachi. And later on, she's in a pirate costume. You have these sort of quite silly moments that uh, you'd only really find funny if you're of the most undemanding uh, kind of sensibility, I think. Yeah, right. I didn't mind um, Vera Bennett, or we should call her by her real name. Kate Atkinson is the actress, and she plays Simone, who is Jack's IT expert. Um, but of course, yeah, she'll, she'll always be Vera Bennett. I didn't mind her because she, for me, did manage to pull off the silliness of, of you know, dress-ups and all that kind of stuff. I, I feel like she could pull it off, then switch into serious IT mode and be helping Jack with all his IT issues and hacking into things and all that kind of stuff. I thought that she did straddle that quite well. But I'm, I'm with you on The Birdwatcher, who is played by Tom Gleeson. Mm. And, you know, Tom Gleeson gives it his all. He, he gets right into the spirit of it. But, oh, my gosh, that character is so ridiculous. Yeah. I did like seeing Leah Vandenberg, who um, parents will know as one of the play school presenters. She playing completely against type as um, the smooth-talking head of this educational institution called Meritus. It's like a college for international students. Yeah. Which is a little bit dodgy. We don't know what's going on here. It's linked to the two deaths in some way. And Leah Vandenberg plays this woman who's basically running it. And you kind of know she's dodgy, but she's very smooth and very slick. Uh, I thought she was really good because, you, yeah, you, there's something sinister going on there. Not, not so much silly, but I thought she was good as a supporting character. But one person who you're probably expecting to see in episode one is Danielle Cormack. 
another Wentworth alumnus. Matt, were you um, disappointed when you didn't see her in episode one? No, I was sort of um, more interested in seeing where the plot would go. And unfortunately, it just didn't go anywhere interesting for me. Although I do love her very much and Kate. The unfolding murder mystery, in my opinion, goes nowhere really fast. I don't really care where it goes in the end, which is the most damning thing of all. I'm not intrigued. I'm not excited. I think this is competent enough drama for that certain ABC demographic that likes shows gentle, slightly dorky, slightly slow paced. But if you compare it to something else, something that's sort of more of the moment, like the ABC's recent buy in Killing Eve, it's just left in the dust. It looks grossly out of date. It looks irrelevant and is a bit of a bore. Sorry. Yeah, right. You're not mincing your words there. No. Well, I, I will reveal this. Danielle does pop up in episode two, and I don't know if she's going to be a, a new love interest for Jack, because obviously Linda's out of the picture, but um, but she she does come into contact with Jack through his investigation in, into these deaths, and it is great to see her on screen. Obviously, she's she's no longer with us in her Wentworth guise. No. But um, but it is good to see her on screen, and she is more um, in, in the serious character mould. She's not another silly character. So I think when you do get to episode two, well, it sounds like you probably won't get to episode two. No. But if you do get to episode two, uh, Danielle is definitely part of the serious side of things. She's not wearing silly hats or speaking silly lines, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Now... If you're listening, ABC, I do love you. As you'd know, if you've listened to this podcast a long time, I love so much of your output, but this really is not up to scratch. Well, public, if you do want to watch what's going to happen on Jack Irish, it's back with us on the ABC on July 8. Binge List, brought to you by Who Magazine. Well, some classics live on and on, and that's certainly the case with Lucy Maud Montgomery's much-loved 1908 novel, Anne of Green Gables. The latest TV treatment is the Netflix series Anne with an E, with season two of the show available from July 6th. You don't want to mess too much with the classics, but you don't want them to be stale retreads either. And this show seems to have either offended or delighted fans, depending on their perspective. Now, I'm not a big lover of the book, but I certainly grew up watching several of the TV and cartoon versions that were made uh, in the 70s and 80s. This story has been remade in every format under the sun, but some things seem to remain the same. What did you think of the depiction of the central character, Gavin? Of Anne, oh my gosh, she's the most annoying person ever. Um, I know that's kind of the point. I know she's just meant to talk and talk and talk and, and then, you know, people can't stand her and then they grow to love her. But, um, oh, she's so annoying. And this particular portrayal of Anne is particularly annoying because, I, like you, I grew up with the Megan Follows version yeah. in the 80s, those uh, telly movies or miniseries or whatever they were. Um, and obviously for me, Anne is Megan Follows, even though she popped up in the last few years on a teen drama, teen historical drama, Rain. She popped up in that, so it was nice to see her back on TV again. But she'll always be Anne of Green Gables to me. So not only did I have to get used to a new actress playing Anne, but um, she was even more annoying than I remember Anne being. But, um, you know, once you can get over that, you kind of block out some of her incessant chatter. Uh, this show is, you know... A lot of the things that were charming about earlier adaptations and obviously the book of Anna Green Gables are charming once again in Anne with an E. It's set in turn of the century Canada. It, it's shot, I don't, know, I don't know where the location is, but wherever it's shot is beautiful. And, um, you know, so, so many things that you loved about the book and the other adaptations are present and accounted for. What is different this time is that the show has a dark edge that we've never seen before in Anne of Green Gables. And that's 
down to the creator of Anne with an E, who is a woman called Moira Wally Beckett, who was a writer and producer of Breaking Bad. And even though, I mean, this isn't about, you know, meth and, and cooking drugs and all that kind of stuff, but a little bit of that darkness from Breaking Bad has seeped into Anne with an E, believe it or not. Matt, what did you think of the darker tone to this classic story? Well, because I'm not in love with the original book, I'm not as bruised by this adaptation as some of the fans seem to be. If you go online, my God, some people are really hurt by this. It does have a dark edge to it, definitely. And it also uh, brings in some very modern political perspectives. There's a fair bit of sort of identity politics, um, gender politics stuff in there by the admission of the producers themselves and it's really been picked up by a lot of people some stuff in here may upset little kids you know we have a character who dies uh, of a heart attack seemingly while beating Anne which was not in the original book you have some um, very frank discussions of puberty which is all fine but you know purists don't like seeing that imposed in there look it's really down to you whether you love this text so much that you don't want to see it fooled with that you might be up Set by some of the harshness and some of the very sort of 2018 perspectives on life and on politics, whether or not you're going to love this or hate this. I do think that there's a lot of love being put into this production. It's got a really big budget. You can see every shot is just beautiful. The first episode of season two starts with this really sort of lingering, wistful sort of footage of Anne running through the forest and playing with animals and the sun shining on her freckles. I'm not sure if they're real freckles. I've never seen freckles that look like that before. But yeah, it's 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 beautifully done and it's a Canadian classic that we've all experienced at some point in our lives. Whether or not you're going to want to experience this one, it's really down to you. I think it was interesting that the abuse Anne received in the past, I mean, obviously Anne comes to the Cuthberts. I guess the story for, for those two of you out there who don't know what, huh. what Anne and Green Gables is, it's Orphan Anne, not to be confused with Orphan Annie, although they do both have red hair and talk a lot. Um, Orphan Anne comes to the Cuthberts, a brother and sister, elderly brother and sister, who wanted to adopt a boy. And then Anne turns up on their doorstep. And so they end up adopting her because there's, you know, they end up being charmed by her and all that kind of stuff. But um, previously, before coming to the Cuthberts, Anne went through a series of institutions and families, and this was only ever alluded to in the book, but we see it play out on screen. Yeah. And, you know, some of the abuse she got from previous families she lived at, uh, lived with, and uh, abuse she received in institutions was it's really quite um, harsh what we see, and we've never seen that before in any, any of the other adaptations. I, I guess it makes things like when Anne gets really hurt by something someone says to her, and she says, "Oh, you've really offended me." Or, yeah. or, you know, she says it much more art- articulately than that. And it's like, really, you're going to complain about someone offending you with words when you've been beaten and, yeah. and punished and all that. So it does jar a bit with you know the the things they're keeping from the original. And the things they're putting in sometimes do jar where it's almost like they're making two different shows at the same time. They're making the original adaptation and keeping some stuff faithful to that. But they're injecting it with all this new stuff, which, um, yeah, sometimes they don't necessarily sit alongside each other that well. Yeah, yeah. You're referring to the sequence, which uh, is sort of integral to the book, where um, someone tells her she's plain and she's absolutely devastated. But then we see that in the past she's had an absolutely horrendous past of abuse. And, you know, would someone who'd been through something that hellish be so wounded by a comment like that i don't know yeah it's something that comes up in a lot of criticism about um and with an e there's some really long think pieces in quite serious journals about this adaptation people saying you know it's even a betrayal 
perhaps if you've got young kids, sit with them and watch this with them or, or preview it yourself. It's probably not the Anne of Green Gables you remember, wouldn't you say, Gavin? Oh, I, I would agree with that. It's, it's definitely a new take on the Anne of Green Gables we loved. And I kind of think, um, you know, did there, did there need to be a new version? I mean, I think, as you say, there's a lot of money being spent on this. It looks great. Acting's good. All that kind of stuff is good. But, um, I mean, couldn't the kids of today have watched the version we grew up with? You know, it's still set in 1908. So if it was relevant in 1988, couldn't that still just be relevant in 2018? Did we need to update it at all? And couldn't we just get our kids to watch Lovely Megan Follows? Perhaps, perhaps. But we do have to move forward and we can't be stale, can we? Well, this is this is a good question you ask because uh, earlier this week I chatted to Wilma Valderrama. Complete random segue from Anna Green Gables to that '70s show star Wilma Valderrama, who was in town to promote NCIS, which is on now, and go to the Logies and all things like that. And obviously, it's um, coming up to 20 years since that '70s show started. It started in 1998, and he is being asked a lot about whether that should be rebooted. I mean, everything is rebooted or remade these days and he had some interesting thoughts about what should be rebooted what shouldn't be rebooted the difference between a reboot and a remake and those kind of things so let's hear what he had to say about that what are your thoughts on the seemingly endless string of reboots and remakes i mean everything the nanny's the latest one that they're talking about i look two sides to this to this answer one it's beautiful to see all these actors come together again and revive and relive and, and, and wake up the nostalgia in most fans and television, uh, specifically because those shows were pioneering uh, TV series at the, at the time, and most importantly were uh, pop culture phenomenon. So it's beautiful to, to teach the new school what a real TV show was. Because right now what they create today is disposable content, right? It doesn't go past three seasons, it doesn't go past four seasons. Those shows went past six, seven, eight, you know, ten years each back then. So, I mean, seventy show went on eight years. Most comedies don't do that, you know. So, in one aspect, it's beautiful for those shows to come back and fulfill our nostalgia, you know, uh, our thirst. Um, but at the same time, in the other side of the coin, I feel like it's lazy. It's lazy from networks to not create original content. It's, na- it's, it's lazy for the studios to continue to acquire titles and, 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 and reboot them with a new direction, a new tone, a new face, a new cast, or whatever it is. To me, that's, the, that's lazy. You know, there's, re- there's, there's very little originality and there's very, uh, very few original ideas that are given a shot because... Um, all these reboots are the, the safe bet for most of these big networks because they don't want to invest into something that hasn't really been done. I think cable and I think streaming is gambling more on original ideas and I love that because that's where most real performers and actors and producers and directors are actually ending up at. Okay, thanks Wilma. And you can catch the second season of Anne with an E on Netflix from July 6th. Who magazine's binge, binge, binge list? It's TV news time again, and two popular shows are in the headlines again this week. It's been nine years since the last time Home and Away approached anything close to an LGBT storyline. Uh, this time we had a character, Ty, coming out as gay amid an unrequited teen crush and a jilted girlfriend scandal. This storyline has grabbed a lot of headlines, but it doesn't seem like the sky's fallen in since it aired. That's right. It's had a much better 
better reaction than the last time Home and Away tried to go down this storyline road, which was, as you say, uh, nine years ago in 2009. I don't know if you remember Esther Anderson's character, Charlie Buckton, the police officer. She had a, a relationship with Joey, played by Kate Bell, and it never really got off the ground, you know, that the lesbian storyline. They kind of tested the water with it a bit, and there was a bit of public outcry. It was back in 2009, pre-marriage equality and all that kind of stuff. So Australia has moved with the times and now Home and Away has moved with the times as well. Matt, what did you think of the of the latest attempt to go down this route? Look, I actually really enjoyed it. I so got into this storyline, I practically developed pimples and teen angst. <laughs> I was flashing right back to high school with all those unrequited crushes. I think that this is a fantastic step forward for the show and I hope that uh, it opens some more doors in the future. Most of the social media reaction from fans that I've seen has been very positive. There has been a, a little bit of hate out there, unfortunately, but I think it's been drowned out by all the positivity. Even I got a little uh, bit of blowback about uh, praising it on Twitter. I got a couple of comments from the public which yeah, right. weren't great, but everyone else seems to have moved on and I think that's fantastic. I think given the parameters of the show's format, this storyline was quite fun and well executed. I thought Darius Williams, who who played uh, Ty, who's John and Marilyn's uh, latest foster son, was great in the role. I think he's a fantastic actor, actually. We'll look forward to see him do more great stuff in the future. We see a little bit of a slow burn of his affections for Ryder, and then there's the love triangle element with him uh, apparently interested in Raffi, and she ends up getting rejected. There are a lot of tears. Is he stringing her along? I think he was, sadly. Then Ty goes in for a kiss with Ryder. It isn't reciprocated. And then Ty runs off into the night. And the next day, there's a bit of biffo between the boys. And then all the adults become involved in true home and away style. And Ty runs off into the bush where he promptly falls down a hill um, and ends up in hospital. That's so classic home and away. I really, classic. Yeah, so loved it. I love the way that Alf was so supportive. Along with all of them, they, were re- they really had his back. And, uh, you know, Alf seems to have really moved on like the rest of Australia and in this post-marriage equality day and age of broad acceptance there's every reason to think that ALF does represent reality. People have changed their minds and I hope we can have more LGBT representation on Home and Away in the future. Hopefully uh, this time with a reciprocated and healthy relationship. You know, teen gays do deserve happiness in Summer Bay as well, wouldn't you say, Gavin? Yeah, I think so. And I think Summer Bay might be a small coastal town, but you know the idea that there aren't any gay people living in Summer Bay is, is, is kind of ridiculous. So it is nice to show that, that the show is showing, yeah, there's a gay teenager in Summer Bay and, and he, he's what he's going through. And I think for the audience especially, because there will be gay teenagers watching this going, you know, I'm confused, I'm, I'm meant to like girls, but I've got, you know... I, got this crush on on this guy having that play out for them on tv might help them sort out their feelings and all that kind of stuff so i think it's positive in that sense and you know with all these shows if you don't want to watch this storyline then go and make a cup of tea while this storyline's on there's plenty of other things going on in summer bay If, if it offends you that greatly then, you know, just leave the room for five minutes and come back when something else is happening. Um, when, when there's a, you know, all those cops and robbers things and the, the river boys aren't in it anymore, but there's still all that gangster stuff going down and all yeah. those guys with tattoos. So, you know, if, if you don't like seeing some, some confusion and teen angst and all that kind of stuff going on, then, yeah, there's plenty else on offer in Home and Away. The thing I thought as well, um, like uh, Love, Simon, the, sh- the film that was out earlier this year. Yeah which was 
a, a teen, a team, you know, rom-com, that kind of thing, which just happened to be about a gay character and was really popular with teen teenagers. My niece, who's 15, said it was the best movie she's ever seen. Yeah, girls love that movie. Yeah, and, and I feel like this storyline in Home and Away is kind of like that for that generation. They're just kind yeah. of like, yeah, so what? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's the older viewers getting their, you know, knickers in a twist over this kind of thing. And a minority of them as well. Yes, thank you, Home and Away, for this storyline. Much appreciated. Home and Away airs Monday to Thursday at 7pm on the 7 Network and is available to view on 7+. Plus. In further news, primetime mega-hit Ninja Warrior is back on 9 from July 8. It was a sensation when it debuted, inspiring a whole genre of primetime shows that looked a lot, to me, like hardcore versions of It's a Knockout. Last year it all came as a bit of a surprise, but this year we know what to expect, and it's inspired a lot of people at home to prepare and have a go. They're being promoted as ordinary people, but really these bodies and fitness levels are not what you'd expect to see outside of a gym. There's even a guy who has built his own Mount Midoriyama, he's that obsessed with getting to the top. How much of the initial success of this show was novelty? We hadn't seen anything like it at the time. Past experiences indicated that these kind of shows tend to be novelties that burn out extremely fast. Gavin, tell us all about the new season. I think what's interesting about this season is that we're coming off the first season where no one actually won in in the sense that no one got to the top of Mount Midoriyama. No. So I guess the um the, the thing that will get people watching is can someone do it this season? So I, I don't know if, if people will burn out because it still hasn't been conquered and maybe they'll keep watching and watching and watching until it does get conquered, if that ever happens. But uh, in terms of what to expect, it, it is kind of more of the same, but there are new challenges. In, in the first uh, heat, there's this shelf jump where they've got to jump off a trampoline onto this shelf and which cling to it with, with two hands and then swing off that onto another shelf. And it's hard to explain when you see it. You'll, you'll know which one I'm talking about. It just looks impossible. I was watching people do it. I'm like, how are you even doing that? Yeah. It's crazy. So they have upped the ante with some of the challenges. Of course, the things we loved are still there. The warped wall is still there. I don't know. I mean, I, I sometimes think, oh, how many times can I watch someone try to run up a wall? A lot, it would turn out, is the yeah, answer to yeah. that. I do like seeing people run up that wall and, and you know whether they can get up it or, or not. Um, so, yeah, there, there's been some tweaks to the course things that we love but one thing that is really interesting is we've seen a lot of these contestants before because no one won last year a lot of them are coming back for a second turn to have another shot so people like um what was his name tarzaniel the really young teenager who dressed like tarzan he's yeah. back those guys who um who run their own kind of ninja warrior academy and then a couple of them are brothers they're back so there's lots of people from last year that we get to see again and that's kind of nice in a way because they're like returning characters in, in, in a in a drama. You know, are they going to get to the top this time? Are they going to beat their personal record? Will the boyfriend and girlfriend both get through or will they be you know squabbling about it later when they go home? Um, so, yeah, so that's what to expect from this season. Matt, are you a fan? Yeah, there's no denying it's still a lot of fun to watch. I really enjoyed the first episode. And it's even more fun when you have the luxury of fast-forwarding through all the boring bits, which unfortunately is a fair bit of it. I suggest record it, then binge all the good bits it saves a lot of time and frustration i think this has still got a couple more seasons in i really enjoyed it yeah i would agree with you on that i did watch this first episode uh straight through and i was you know 
my, my finger, my, my fast forward finger was twitching because I did want to fast forward all the replays, all the chats after someone falls into the water, get to the point where you're like, yep, yeah, get on with the good stuff. So I do, when I normally watch it, I'll, I'll record it on my uh, Foxtel IQ and then yeah, fast forward through the boring bits and all those ads. And coming up after the break and previously before the break, we saw this. It's like, yeah, I just watched it. Yeah. Um, but uh, I have some burning questions about Ninja Warrior. First of all, I always wonder if they play the contestants in the same order they compete or they switch things around for dramatic effect. Yeah. It does seem like we're seeing them in the order that they compete or they're doing some very, very clever editing afterwards to, to make it seem that way. Mm. So that's one of my burning questions. The other one is why do people keep wearing T-shirts? And it's not just to see all the people with their shirts off. Oh, it is. Well, I mean, that is part of the appeal, all these buff bodies of Ninja Warrior. But if you wear a T-shirt, it's going to dip into the water. Mm. Take your T-shirt off so you don't, you know, you don't risk it dipping into the water and eliminating yourself. And we do see a couple of eliminations in this first episode from really silly things like that. I don't know if it's actually a T-shirt, but there are silly things like, yeah, people letting a foot slip into the water, that kind of thing. It's like, come on, this is season two. You should know now T-shirts, either tuck them in, take them off or wear something, you know, skin tight, that kind of thing. And my last uh, burning question is, what is a jet skiing plumber? One one of the guys who competed was described as a jet skiing plumber. Does he turn up to your house on his jet ski? Does he only fix the plumbing on jet skis? I don't know. I, I was very confused by that. But I'm I'm with you, Matt. I, I think there's still a lot of life left in this show. Yep, yep. Now, listeners, if you're keen, Ninja Warrior is on 9 from July 8th. To binge or not to binge? That's the question. We're all struggling to deal with the problem of peak TV. There's so much on. This week I'm going to profile season two of Glow, which starts on Netflix on June 29. This fun drama series deals with the rise of the gorgeous ladies of wrestling, aka Glow. Back when women's wrestling first exploded in the 80s, we open episode one of season two with Scandal's 80s classic The Warrior, and a neon font that takes us right back to the day. Now, if you're in any doubt that we're talking about a legitimate sport, we're referring to the kind of wrestling where the -the over-the-top costumes and characters take centre stage, where fake fights and soap opera-style drama dominates both in the ring and outside of it. As with the real life glow women that this is loosely based on we've got a mixed bag of characters here who were originally struggling as actresses models dancers or stunt women and most of them got into wrestling as a way of making a living in show business it's not all fun and games there's a fair bit in here about the sleazy sexist and racist atmosphere that pervaded the scene back then men are shown to be in control of some situations here when they really shouldn't have been and women are fighting to be in control of a world that really should have belonged to them but this show is a lot of fun and has the same eye for 80s detail that Stranger Things did at its best. The hair, the clothes, the language and the attitudes are mostly spot on. Glow captures a moment. It's kind of got that Boogie Nights kind of vibe in a way. The way they celebrate a time and the story becomes secondary to reveling in uh, the, the decade and the moment. I'm wondering if and when Cindy Lauper is going to turn up in this. Remember her brief infamy as a women's wrestling manager, Gavin? I do remember that. And uh, yeah, I have to say I like Glow. Um, I don't 
watch it religiously, but whenever I do watch it, I enjoy it. I love Alison Brie, who is obviously in Community and Mad Men, and Betty Gilpin, who was great in Nurse Jackie. They're the two frenemies at the uh, centre of this show, and I really do love their interaction. But yeah, it's a great watch. It's half an hour show, lots of fun. So I would agree with you, Matt, that this is one to binge. Watch it, everyone. Glow's available on Netflix right now. It's time for this week's Hidden Gem. The best gems are the hidden ones. Among all the high-profile shows that grab all the attention, there's some great stuff out there that deserves a spotlight. Gavin, this week you're profiling CB Strike on Foxtel On Demand. I am, I am. And this is a hidden gem because who knew it had even aired here? Um, Well, I didn't. And I did check around the office and I wasn't the only one who it passed by. All seven episodes dropped on May 1 on Showcase and you can now watch it on Foxtel On Demand. And yeah, I I thought I'd talk about it because you would think, given the original books were written by J.K. Rowling of, you know, Mrs. Harry Potter, that... um, that this would have got a lot more attention. Yes, she wrote the books under a pseudonym, Robert Galbraith, but everyone knows by now that the books are by her. So I'm surprised this didn't get more attention when it went on air, but you can obviously catch up with it now. So yeah, so it's called CB Strike. Obviously, it gets its name from its central character, Cormoran Strike. And he's an ex-military police. He was uh, served out in Afghanistan, I think it was, and was involved in an incident there that resulted in his leg being amputated. So he's come back to London and is working as a detective. He also happens to be the son of a famous rock star. So he's, he's kind of a mass of contradictions. He's got this military past. He's connected to this, uh, you know, exclusive A-list world that, you know, opens a lot of doors for him. And, you know, he's a, he's a bit, uh, he sleeps in his office despite the fact that his dad's loaded. So th- there's all these things in his past that make him quite an interesting character. He, he's a bit of a mess, really. And he hires this new assistant, Robin. Well, she's an office temp to start off with, but she kind of just never goes away. So he hires her to kind of get his office in order, and she does get it in order. She's the perfect assistant. She's, in fact, she's Little Miss Perfect all round, really. She's got this fiancé, and his fiancé, her fiancé is not happy about her working for Cormoran Strike. He wants her to go off and work in human resources or something boring like that. But she's really intrigued by Cormoran's world and, of course, the cases he's investigating. So the seven episodes of the series are split into three different cases, which uh, correspond to the three books that have been released so far. The Cook is Calling, which was the first book, is episodes one, two, and three. And then The Silkworm and Career of Evil are two episodes each. Now, I've actually read all three books. I'm a bit of a J.K. Rowling fan. And uh, the first one, The Cuckoo's Calling, sticks very closely to the novel. So if you've read it, especially if you've read it recently, you'll kind of see all the plot twists coming um, because you, you, you'll know the story. Um, so maybe if you have read the book recently, give yourself a little bit of a break before diving into the series. But yeah, the first one is an investigation into the apparent suicide of a model. She apparently threw herself off her balcony in her exclusive penthouse, but uh, Cormoran isn't so sure. So this is a classic detective series. There's obviously a little bit of, you know, possibly unresolved sexual tension. You know, she does happen to have this fiancé, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Will it develop into a love triangle? Will the opposites attract? Will Cormoran and Robin get it on? We're all waiting to see what that will happen. So it's got all the ingredients of your classic detective drama. Um, And yeah, it's definitely worth watching if you're a fan of that genre or if you're a fan of J.K. Rowling, who, let's face it, writes great characters and great plots, then check it out. Sounds great, Gavin. If you're interested in CB Strike, it's available on Foxtel On Demand. 
Thanks, everyone, for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe to Binge List on iTunes and Omni. We'd love to have you uh, following us on Twitter too, so track us down at GavinScott99, Mr. Matt Denby, and I am Claire. Claire's going to be back next week. Hooray! Until next time, happy viewing, everybody. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.